Um, we're starting again on uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verse 6 is where we left off in the definition of righteousness. Once again, these are what we call the Beatitudes, and this is Christ's real first powerful epic teaching in the public. Um, and he goes right to it, man. He just leaves nothing out and just the difference between him and the world. He just lays it right out there. When Jesus Christ is done teaching this, you get a good understanding of what he expects from us, what you can and cannot do with the kingdom of God. And of course, we've ignored, as a church, we've pretty much ignored this uh, for the entire history of Christianity. Uh, having said that, uh, last week Frank was telling me that uh, they, uh, the recovery group that he attends bases a lot of their stuff on um, the Beatitudes, which is practical application of Scripture. And uh, I found that fascinating, and he brought in what they have. And uh, you want to read it for us, Frank? Sure. All right, let me turn it around so people can see you instead of me. When you can see yourself in that picture, Frank, you just tell me. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, buddy. Okay, um, Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step group. Um, and like a lot of 12-step groups, it... Um, works with a higher power, but unlike the other 12-step groups, uh, Celebrate Recovery uh, names Jesus Christ as the higher power. So it is a Christian organization, and Celebrate Recovery uh, loves acronyms, and the eight recovery principles that they teach side-by-side side with the 12 steps uh, are the acronym is recovery. So these recovery principles are based on the Beatitudes um, and uh, each one of them references uh, one of the uh, early the, the Beatitudes. So the first one starts with an R. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and my life is unmanageable. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor, Matthew 5.3. E, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Uh, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, Matthew 5.4. C, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek. Matthew 5 5. Oh, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart. Matthew 5 8. V. Voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires, Matthew 5, 6. E. Evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Happy are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7. Happy are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. R. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and His will for my life 
and to gain the power to follow his will. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. 2 Timothy 3.16 And then why yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words? Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Matthew 5.10 Amen. Amen. It, it is very encouraging to me to have here a recovery group uh, that's spiritually based and that soundly spiritually based, not just a concept, but actually applying scripture to the truth, using the truth to help. And that's really encouraging. Thanks, buddy. Mm -hmm. um, we left off on verse six, which basically began, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. What a, what a beautiful uh, promise. Uh, if you want it, you'll get it. Um, so pr obviously if you don't have it, the problem is we don't want it enough. Um, Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, so to understand verse 6, we have to understand what the word righteousness is. We, we, we throw it around as if we do. Uh, maybe we get it, maybe we don't, but... Uh, Maybe it's been a while since we've even brought it up. Uh, in the New Testament, it comes from a Greek word, dikiosia, sina, uh, which means with, without sin. Uh, and it falls under one of four categories of whatever is right or just in and of itself. It is evident, it's right just because it defines right, the thing that defines right. Whatever conforms to the revealed will of God. Um, whatever has been appointed by God to be acknowledged and obeyed by man or the sum total of the requirements of God is righteousness or then there's our own little understanding of it which is religious duties um, how we live our life uh, the actual things we do almsgiving prayer fasting uh, Jesus being baptized for the sake of righteousness you know, you know what I mean um, so there's the heart part and then there's how you enact the heart part uh, and, other, and what it comes down to is being in harmony of God with having his will be your will. Uh, that is pretty much righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him who know, knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, he got our sin. We got his righteousness. Um the thing that God requires from us, righteousness, he provides for us. Once again, I, I don't know how many times I've said that to you guys, but uh, I hope you're seeing it now. That salvation and sanctification in our entire Christian walk is a matter of him blessing us. Uh, there's nothing that I can earn or do um, to bring myself into a state of righteousness uh, other than want it. Uh, that That's all I can do. And honestly, the way I've come in my life to wanting righteousness is experiencing living not in righteousness in unrighteousness and understanding how hurtful and painful that is not wanting to have that anymore is what makes me want to have righteousness in other words failing makes me want to win uh, philippians 3 8 through 9 paul writes to the church more than that i count all things to be lost 
in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Uh, once again, uh, understand, along with Beatitudes, how different that is from the world's perspective. Uh, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, this is Paul writing, but derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The righteousness God gave me through Jesus Christ. So what it's saying is if you're hungering and thirsting, Jesus is talking, he's saying if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and what we know now is when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're hungering and thirsting for Jesus Christ. Um, that's where righteousness comes from. It's the only way to get it. You, you can't get that standing with God any other way. Because hunger and thirst, it's a craving based on a need. Uh, both of those things, uh, a need for righteousness. And those who deeply desire righteousness will experience righteousness to the degree that they they craved it. Um, as much as you, which leads us to sometimes people who've had a rougher life, people who have fallen a little deeper into the mud than some of the others of us, have a deeper understanding of God's grace and God's righteousness than others of us do. Uh, maybe those of us who have not had the dramatic or the drastic pointed out to us those who have seen the extent of their own evil uh, I'm not saying we don't all have it but those who have seen it uh, in dramatic fashion uh, perhaps they understand a little deeper that the righteousness that they have comes from God um, perhaps they're a little more blessed with an understanding of grace uh, you know the old parable of the two people in church one an old sinner and the other one the Pharisee and the sinner can't even lift his hand eyes head to God and the Pharisee saying you know thank you Lord I'm not like him and uh, and Jesus asked who's blessed here you know because Jesus Christ is a substance that satisfies our thirst and our hunger for righteousness when we know that we need it where do I get it well Jesus Christ is the only place you can get it. And we hunger and thirst for righteousness for one simple reason, because we don't have it. And some of us out there are all right with this. Uh, that's just fine and dandy. It would just get in my way. Uh, righteousness would just uh, convict me of doing the things I love to do. Others desire to be righteous and seek it. It is those who will find it. What a beautiful promise. Um, Psalms 53, 1 through 3, why we actually hunger for righteousness, you know. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable justices, just injustice, abominable, wow, abominable, thank you, injustice. There is no one who does good. Uh, first he talks about the fool and then he says, well, that's pretty much all of us. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is any who understand, who seek after God. Every one of them is turned aside. Together they have been, become corrupt. There was no one who does good, not even one. And of course, this is quoted by Paul in Romans. Uh, that's where this comes from, by the way. Jesus said that he is the living water 
that he is the bread of life. So hunger and thirst are both satisfied by who? Jesus. Whoever is seeking righteousness will be satisfied by Jesus Christ and him alone. The word satisfied means to gorge, to fill completely. And it's the same word is used in Matthew 14, 20, and 15, 33, where Jesus feeds the crowds with the fishes and loaves. In other words, they were completely full. They couldn't eat another bite. And the, what he's saying is the same thing about, that's the righteousness you will get if you want it. Uh, verse 7, mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, why are the merciful blessed? Because God will give them mercy. Uh, mercy, as a, def a definition, uh, compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. That's really important. Uh, that comes from a word that uh, the Greek word is aleamon. Eleamon, uh, which means full of pity, merciful, compassionate, from a word, the, the root word of compassionate, and compassionate is feeling mercy is what you do about, uh, compassion is feeling, mercy is what you do about the feeling. So those two things are linked. So to have mercy without compassion is meaningless. Uh, those two things have to be together. Uh, Vines calls uh, Elios, which is mercy, is the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes a need on the part of him who receives it and a resource adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. Okay, this is really important that you understand that about mercy. Mercy means you have power. To give mercy to someone it means you have the power to grant mercy. It means you have some sort of authority or some sort of power to give them what they need. Well, need from who? From you. Uh, <laughs> mercy because they need your mercy. Why would somebody need your mercy? Because they offended you. Or because they hurt you. Or because they owe you something. That's why they would need your mercy. Um, and understand, this is when it says this, when it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, of course, assuming that that mercy would be from God, but also isn't there a little bit of truth that you would get it in this world, that if you treat people right, there's a high, higher, much higher likelihood that you will be treated right, you will be treated with grace. But we know that's true with God. You can't really count on it from the world, but there's a chance of it. But you're blessed because you will receive mercy. Well, understand this isn't a quid pro quo situation. Where, one where God states, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. Because God is never in need of anyone's mercy, let alone mine. What this is saying is, if you do this for others, I will do this for you. Uh, you're not doing anything for me, but it means something to me if you do it for other people. Mercy is proving your love for your neighbor. It is the proof that Jesus is Lord of your life, and not just your savior. It proves that you ask nothing more from others than God has asked from you, but mercy also proves that you can be entrusted with power and authority. This is expanded in the Luke 6 teaching of, of this uh, teaching. From Luke 6, 35 to 36, but love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return, 
and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. It's a little deeper there. Uh, this begins with love, and it ends with mercy. Mercy is needed when it comes to those who have wronged you. Love is the motive for mercy, and love is the entirety of law. Uh, if we love and expect nothing back, if we are merciful to the degree that God is merciful, we will be what we were created to be. What Luke says is, we will be the sons of God. So, if you're wondering how to be the sons of God, it's pretty simple. Do the things the world doesn't do. Be merciful. Use whatever power you have. And, of course, the great power that we have, brothers and sisters, is the power to forgive. Um, Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Why is God rich in mercy? Because of great love. Why are we rich in mercy? Because we have, because of a great love that's in our hearts. We are to be merciful for the same reason that God is. Because we love people. Mercy is how love responds when wronged. How much mercy are we to offer others as much as God has offered you? The depth of mercy should be as deep in us as it is in God. How deep is that? Psalms 103, 10 through 12. Brothers and sisters, this is an extremely high standard. It is what God expects. It is the ones who are blessed. He did not deal with us according to our sins, nor re reward us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. God has not dealt with you according to your sins until you know this fact, until you understand its reality. Then being merciful will be hard for you. If you find yourself having a rough time being merciful, uh, you have a hard time using the power God has granted you to forgive. Uh, I think it's because you don't really understand how much you've been forgiven of. Maybe you think a little too highly of yourself, more than you ought. Uh, you're going to want your pound of flesh as long as you believe that you are God and no one is permitted to offend you without facing dire consequences. You know, uh, it's in our nature to want to call down fire. It, it is, and that is not being merciful. You won't um, know how to grant mercy for others until you know and understand what God has done for you. But once you do, you're responsible for what you know. Because, brothers and sisters, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I can only tell you, I've been given much. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. There's no other way to be forgiven. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourself. To refuse to be merciful is refusing God's mercy for yourself. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. Uh, that's the end of the quote. Mercy is what God expects us to do with power. If we cannot be merciful here and now, we cannot be trusted with his glory there and then. If you allowed what others have done to make you hard, bitter, judgmental, 
and you have a hard time finding peace, then allow what God has done for you to make you merciful. Those who have received mercy have no standing to demand justice for the faults and crimes of others. It is like fingernails on a chalkboard to the ears of God when his people refuse to be merciful. Brothers and sisters, we've been granted a great power by God, the power of mercy, the power to forgive, the power to set another free. This power alone has the power to heal what this world has broken. If we do not wield this power, we will not be permitted to wield any other power. Mercy is how God expects us to use our power over others. Remember what he said, what you bind will be bound. Be careful, for when you slap the chains on another, you're slapping them on yourself. Always remember, that's real. That's true theology. And that is the standard. And that's not going to change. Our standard of mercy is not determined by what was done to us. It is determined by what was done for us by God. This is how we gain our sense of the proper use of power in the kingdom of heaven. Romans 11.32 states, For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. In other words, he's shown all of us what's wrong with us, so that when we get mercy, we'd understand it's mercy. Given enough time, I will offend you and you will offend me until we stop believing that we are God and we will continue to do so. What is needed in Christian fellowship, what is needed in this world is mercy. Do not challenge God's mercy with your lack of it. James 2, 1, James 2, 12 through 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless. He's writing to the church, by the way. The judgment will be merciless on the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, if you don't show mercy and you don't have mercy, it won't triumph over judgment, will it? Remember whose sons and daughter you are. Gird up your loins, straighten out your crown, draw your sword, and remember what has been done for you and display the immense power you have been granted by the grace of God, the power to grant mercy to another person. Ask yourself, does anyone other than you know that you have the divinely ordained power to grant mercy? Has anyone know that you're merciful? If God grants us authority, he expects he has an expectation of it being used. Use it for them or lose it for you. Amen. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Man, I love that, they shall see God. Uh, pure, uh, from Webster's, unmixed with any other matter, free from dust, dirt, or taint. Uh, katharos is the Greek word, which means being cleansed, purified by fire, in a similitude like a vine uh, cleansed by pruning, and so fit to bear fruit. Cathartic. Yeah, which is where, right, cathartic comes from, thank you. Uh, I didn't write that down, but I should have. In the Greek, we get a sense of the dynamic nature that exists between purity and our hearts. Our hearts are not doomed to remain what they are. They can be purified, pu pruned of bad growth. 
made to bear good fruit. Even the purest of our hearts is contaminated before God, but even the vilest of our hearts can be purified by God. The thing is, God does it. Heart, from Webster's, one of the innermost characters, feelings, or inclinations, the central or innermost part, the essential or most vital part of something. In other words, your essence. Charide uh, is the Greek word for heart, the center and the seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind as its foundation and the seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors of the understanding, the faculty and seat of intelligence, of the will and character. In other words, you. Our very essence has to be pure for us to see God. Uh, those with a pure heart will be blessed because they will see God. This raises two serious issues for us. First, Scripture tells us that none of us has a pure heart. And section, Scripture tells us that none of us can see the face of God and live. Well, that should tell us something. The, the two are related, by the way. If you, what, did, what did Jesus say? If you have a pure heart, you'll see God. Well, Scripture says none of us have a pure heart, and you can't see God there. So Jesus is giving us some hope here. He's speaking back to the Old Testament, those things I just told you, and he's saying it's, it's going to be possible. A pure heart and seeing God are possible. Uh, so we are left to ask, while this beatitude speaks truth, is it a truth that has any practical application for us? Uh, the problem with our hearts. Uh, from Genesis 5-6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man on his earth was great, and the every intent of his thought of his heart, oh, I love this, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, that's not other people. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. And it says, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. We broke the heart of God. Our hearts broke the heart of God. Uh, Mark, over. Amen. Over and over again. Mark 7, 21 through 23, From within, out of the hearts of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things proceed from within and defile the man. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who could understand it? Well, we ask that question and God answers. I, the Lord, search the hand, the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his way, according to the results of his deeds. Okay, he tells us our heart is deceitful and is desperately sick. He says he searches it and tests it, and then he says, I'll give you what you deserve. This is after telling us our heart is desperately sick. William Secker wrote, until we taste the bitterness of our own misery. We will never relish the sweetness of God's mercy. Until we see how foul our sins have made us, we will never pay our tribute of praise to Christ for washing us. If you would know the heart of your sin, then you must know the sins of your heart. Fortunately, God wants us to see him face to face. This changes our future. This is what makes Jesus Christ's words here in the Beatitude mean something. 
it makes the words of this verse just not plausible, but probable. What we cannot do, God has done for us. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will change you to what you must be to see me, is what God is saying here. If you, I want you to see me, and I'm going to have to change you. And this is what it is. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. You see, just putting us in the bathtub and wiping off the dirt doesn't change much. It, yeah, for the moment. But what he's saying is, I'm going to have water flowing over you your entire time. I'm changing your heart. Your reason for needing a bath. I'm going to change it. I'm going to give you something that you don't have. A new heart. And put a new spirit in you. And did not Jesus not say that you know he will dwell in you, the Holy Spirit? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. One that beats. One that has blood in it. I will what, what's it like like yes thank you instead of just constant death and destruction I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful will be careful to observe my ordinances I'm fixing I'm going to fix you so not only does he save us he completely sanctifies us and what is salvation without this without this promise that I'm not going to have to be saved over and over again. I will be what I've been called and created to be. It's coming. That is the great hope, brothers and sisters. That is the hope of eternity. That is the hope of heaven. That is everything I look forward to. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons, because we are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts. Into where? Our hearts. The thing that has to be right for us to see God. Crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer slaves, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. This speaks to being cured of the cause, not just the absence of symptoms. Sin is like shingles. It's in there since you were young, just waiting for an opportunity to come out. Grace wipes our heart clean with a transfusion of pure blood from the Lamb that changes our hearts. Exodus 33, 18-20 When we seek power, we are shown goodness. When Moses said, I pray... I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass in front of you and proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on those whom I show compassion. And he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. So, when Jesus said, blessed are those who are righteous, uh, for they shall see the face of God. That is fixing this. And that's serious business. That was Moses. That was the most righteous dude on the planet. And he wasn't allowed to see the face of God. But you know what? You will. 
you will. Please note that this declaration comes with the giving of the law. And it was given to the most righteous man on the planet. And he could not look on the face of God. This does not say that no one can see God. It does not say that no one can see his face. It says that no one can see his face and live. So, no matter who you are, you cannot see the face of God while you are alive. In scripture, when people saw the face of the angel of the Lord, they were amazed and proclaimed, I've seen the face of God and lived, because they thought they saw the face of God. They were like, how could that be? Well, they saw an angel, the angel of the Lord. No, they didn't. If the glory of the angel had that effect on the best of us, imagine what the glory of the Lord would do to us. In this life, there's no hope of seeing the face of God and living to tell about it. But that does not mean we will never see his face. We will see the face of God. And this should be the goal of our lives. From Psalms 105.4 Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Seek the face that you're not allowed to see. Seek to see it. And the only way to see it is through righteousness. Seek to see what sin has kept you from seeing. Seek a pure heart so that you can see God. Make it the purpose of your life around which all other things revolve. When we are completely conformed to the image of Christ, when we see him as he is, not only will we see the face of God, we will share in the glory that we see. It's just a matter of time, just a few ticks of the clock, keep us from beholding the face of our God. From Psalm 17:15, I read this in almost every funeral I do now. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. He's speaking of death. I shall see God face to face, and I will do so because I will stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His blood pumping through my heart. His nature being my nature. The heart of Jesus being the essence of what I have become and what I will remain to be. Until then, until then, brothers and sisters, from 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Hmm. Man, I love that. Now I know in part, but then I will fully know, just as also I have been fully known. I will know God as well as he knows me. Wow. But then, face to face. While you're here, keep this in your heart. When you face the pain and recovery of a heart transplant, when you deal with your sanctification and it starts to wear you down and you feel hopeless and helpless, when you feel so far from the righteousness of God, remember, this is all for you. You will see and you will know God just as he sees and knows you because you will find the righteousness that you've sought. We'll stop there. Amen. And we'll pick up on verse 9. Any questions, comments, criticisms?
Anything else good? Um, I would say they're all part of one thing. Um, they're all part of sanctification. Um, they're all part of the difference between the world and the kingdom. And it's tough for us. No, I, I would say no. I, I would say if you're doing one, you're probably going to be doing the other. Uh, it's a complete package. Um, it's an interesting question, Leanne. Uh, I would say no. Um, I don't know how you could be merciful without pursuing righteousness, you know, and so on. Uh, it's all a matter of, you know, His Spirit coming into you and taking, giving you, giving Him control of your life, of letting go, uh, of staring deep into the mirror that He turns your face to, so that you see what you are and you don't want to be that anymore. Uh, this is what comes from it, and all these things are the telltale signs that you're in the kingdom. These are the proofs, the fruits of the kingdom of God. And each one of them is its own proof. I don't... Interesting point. Um, I don't think so. You know, I'll give it some thought, but yeah, I, I think that one feeds to the other and they are all proofs of who and what you are in the kingdom. Uh, they, there's something that each one of us should read and review on a constant basis and ask ourselves, is this me? You know, am I... Am I becoming comfortable not being these things? You know what I mean? Am I comfortable with just being saved and you know, looking forward to heaven? Or do I want to have the do I want to be blessed now? Blessed, you know, uh, uh, filled to the top, have my life be everything my life can be, not wasting a moment of my existence in this temporal plane. So that when I stand in front of him and my life is reviewed. I have little less to weep over of the things I could have done that I didn't do. You know, um, the Beatitudes are a powerful, powerful tool to lead us to sanctification, uh, to change the desires of our hearts. They really are. There, that's you know, if he's a man, did he open up with, with a a salvo? I mean, a, a full-on broadside, all the big guns pointed one direction, and uh, man, what a first teaching. Um, you know, we think of it as a beautiful poetry, man. This, this is a challenge being thrown down. The gauntlet is is out there. You know, hey, you want to be blessed? This is how this is how it happens. And uh, you know, the crowd came back. <laughs> Maybe they didn't get it. I don't know. But when you understand that, at the conclusion of these, as the thing that concludes the beatitudes is, hey, it's not going to be easy. You know, if you do these things to be blessed, the world's going to hate you. So he, throughout this whole thing, he's defining the difference between the kingdom and the world, and which should define in our own lives, my life and your life, where I'm at in it. You know, how much of the world am I hanging on to, and how much of the kingdom am I embracing? Uh, when I look back at these attitude, the beatitudes, they define it for me. Uh, they're my answer to the question. So, I know that's not a real answer to your question, but it's the best I got. Uh, I would say, no, I, I don't think so. Uh, there are some that are more prevalent in my life right now because I'm dealing with them than others, but they're all going to have to be dealt with, every single one of them. Every single one of them matters, and uh, they are the litmus test 
of our spirituality. And um, yeah, it, it's profound. And of course, all those things that he's saying we must have to be blessed are given to us by his grace. Um, what he demands from us once again. I, I don't know how many times I could say it. He supplies for us. And I'm not saying that if you're not sanctified, it's his fault. So don't ever believe that. It's The fact that it takes time is our fault. Uh, the fact that he has to teach me the same lesson over and over and again for the last doggone 63 years is my fault, not his. He just doesn't tire of teaching me. His patience is incredible. So, and, and I look at these Beatitudes, I see how far I yet have to go, you know. And if I'm not blessed, uh, as I think I should be, then I just look at these Beatitudes and see why. So, yeah, hope that helps. Um, anything else? All right, y'all have a great week, and I'll uh, see some of you Sunday, and God bless you. I love you guys. Uh, you... No Bible study. Oh, yeah, next Thursday is Thanksgiving. No Bible study. Yeah. But, hey, have a great week, and have a great Thanksgiving if I don't see you guys. And just uh, be blessed, enjoy your family, and uh, let good things happen. Love you guys. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, let's pray. Everybody. Yeah, let's pray. Happy Thanksgiving. Maybe I should close in prayer, huh? Maybe I should close, maybe I should close in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this great fellowship that you give us. I thank you for these people. They, uh, they make this journey through this tough place bearable and i just thank you lord bless each and every one of them and father let your word just sink into our hearts and change us so that we can become a light in this world instead of part of the darkness and watch over my brothers and sisters make them strong wise brave and compassionate and help them to glorify your name on what they think what they do and what they say in jesus name amen, amen.